As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I am back in the U.S. I am going through the weirdest jet lag ever in my return from Australia. But the good news is that we're back with the pod. And this time we've got Kim McCauley, who has been with us through this World Cup, who is the uh, inventor of the prayer circle formation uh, for this U.S. Women's National Team. We're going to go through the two results that we got from last night's game with Sweden and Spain advancing. We will preview quickly France, Australia and England, Colombia and then get into some big-picture U.S. Women's National Team talk. So, without further ado, here's Kim. All right, Kim, let's talk World Cup. Let's let's not start with the U.S. just because I feel like that's still a fresh wound for so many. But last night we had Sweden and Spain both advance. What stood out to you from last night's games? I'm sad to see Japan go. Not that I actually had a rooting interest in the game or any game, but I've just really enjoyed watching Japan play in general. I thought their Mm -hmm. games have been really entertaining and I wanted to watch more of them. Um, Sweden played very well, though. They deserve to win the game. I can't exactly complain about the result, but I just really wish we got to see more Japan games. Yeah, I mean, it was it was tough because I feel like everybody... You know, after the group stage, especially Japan was a really popular pick, right? Of It was interesting because the betting model never really followed, right? But everybody, I think, who was on the ground was just like, well, Japan. It's got to be Japan, right? Like, Japan has, has just kind of, like, bossed these teams around. And then I, I was awake for the first half of the Japan-Sweden game, and I was watching it, and I was just like, Man, Sweden really, they just figured them out though, right? Like, was it Japan maybe falling apart in that moment? Or do you think Sweden just really tactically figured them out? I don't think Japan fell apart. I think that would be an unfair characterization because it was a very close game. Yeah. You know, it's not like Sweden was constantly getting great chances and Japan wasn't getting any, you know, counterattacks off on the other end. Like, you know, it wasn't a dominant performance, but you know, Sweden was on top and they took advantage of their um, of their physical abilities, really. You know, do they 
They have bigger and stronger players, and they found a way to maximize that advantage in a way that Japan's other opponents have not found a way to maximize at all. Yeah. No, it was kind of, I remember looking at the TV and just being like, okay, they are very much two different sizes, (laughs) just actual (laughs) human beings. Like this is, it's like when you watch two teams from different age groups compete and you're like, that feels okay, sure. That which, that might as well happen. Which hasn't ha- mattered in Japan's previous games. Right. Like that was that was very much the case in the round of 16 against Norway. Norway had um, a lot of very tall players that they tried to, you know, utilize the, yep. those players' physical capabilities. And, you know, it part of that not coming off is that Norway was kind of a wreck throughout this tournament. Um, they They clearly did not have very good chemistry. Um, their coach did a very questionable job in, in her role in lineup selection and, and tactics, but point still stands that Norway had those same advantages and was not able to capitalize on yeah. them. Norway or Japan was able to mitigate those problems through their, their better shape, their better passing. Mm-hmm. And they weren't able to do that against Sweden. And I think that they were, honestly a little conservative it's easy for me to say that after we know the results of the game say oh they should have been more ambitious they should have been more attacking but sweden is not spain they're not going to overcommit you know they're not going to send too many numbers forward and leave these huge gaps at the back for you to counterattack into mm-hmm. it seemed like japan kind of set up with more or less the same tactics that they set up with um against spain but they didn't find those same gaps in the counter because Sweden didn't take the same number of risks and um, honestly was more serious in their defending. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was struck though. I think obviously Sweden really did dominate that first half, but there were a few times where Japan really could pull Sweden apart with their shape. Like they kept doing that big ball kind of from left to right where they had pulled everyone to one side of the field and then they'd swap and then they get, maybe like not necessarily a good shot off, but I was like, you're, you're doing interesting things, pulling Sweden and like making them do bad things in terms of a defensive shape. And then you're not actually taking advantage of it. And then that, that really felt like it, the momentum really changed, especially late in the second half, they get that goal. And then it's just like Japan, Japan, like just a wave of pressure. Did you think that they were going to find an equalizer live in the moment? Well, I so I didn't watch it live. I watched the game okay. when I when I woke up. So I knew yeah. the result when I watched the game. That's, Got it. That's interesting though. I wonder if I had watched the game live, if it had felt like they were going to score, if or if you know. Obviously, I was influenced by knowing they weren't going to while watching the game. Um, I I think the kind of the big obvious like elephant in the room and like why didn't they have that final ball kind of feels like because in the first half at least because Junendo wasn't on the pitch. Yeah, And I know it's a very easy thing to pick out, like, oh, you should just swap this one player. Like, we had a lot of discourse around that, um, like that, around the U.S. women's national team that I think was inaccurate. And I think it's usually just, like, a very simple characterization that doesn't tell the whole story. But in this case, um, I thought there were a lot of instances where Hinusagita chose the safer pass when... Junendo would have played the lower percentage, but potentially decisive ball. All right. Yeah. Junendo, I think really did coming onto the field. There was 
sometimes there is like a very noticeable swap, right? When you get a substitute on and the energy changes, but well, and this is know. also, I want to make it clear. This is not a criticism of Sugita who was put into that position to play a particular role that she mm-hmm. is probably a little bit better defensively than Endo and more of a possession retaining player than Endo. But at the same time, you lose that spectacular assist ability yep. because Sugita is normally a central midfielder, not usually a winger or wing back. And, you know, so that's not really a criticism of her, but those are kind of the trade-offs that Japan's manager chose to, to go for, thought he needed the possession retaining and defensive ability more than the killer ball. And uh, he was probably incorrect. Yeah. I mean, it, it will be a shame to not have Japan in this tournament anymore just because, I don't know, I think to your point, like they were really fun to watch and I could have watched a lot. They, I w- they were like that in She Believes Cup too, where you would put like watch them on the field and it was just like, no, this is a really fun and interesting team. Yeah, even though they lost a couple games, it was pretty pretty clear like, oh, they're working on something cool. Like this team is getting better every single time they try to play in this in this new formation with these new players and it turned out to be true they were improving all the time and they came to the world cup playing a lot better than they did in she believes and in a lot of the warm-up friendlies so it's it's pretty clear that they are on a great path especially because a lot of these players that are so young yeah they're all babies their starters have fewer than 50 caps or under 25 years old like we're gonna see this whole team again yeah yeah Japan really feels like, yes, they didn't make it to a semifinal here, but 2027 will be interesting, I think. Like, I mean, that's going to be a Even a next full... year is going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, true. Olympics, obviously, are, are definitely going to be something. But, I mean, it will be really interesting, I think, to see a full cycle. And also, I feel like what I found actually really interesting about some of the... Now that I am back in the U.S. and listening to some of the commentary, which is more of a curse than a blessing, I suppose. Um, but it was interesting to me that I don't even know who, who said this of just like, well, now all of these players are going to get calls from bigger clubs. Right. And I found that so fascinating because obviously so much of this roster does play in the domestic league in Japan. And I don't know, there might be, it, it, it will be interesting to watch if that plays out or not. I think. I feel like most of these players were already on the radar of bigger clubs, and you can see that in that many of them have in the last year moved to the United States or England or Italy. Um, you know, that was already, I think half the half the squad has made that move in the last year leading up to this mm-hmm. World Cup. So I don't think that's necessarily the case. Like, I'm pretty sure most of these players we're already on the radar of bigger clubs. It just might be a case of, okay, now they're willing to pay that little extra in the transfer fee or the wages to get it over the line that they weren't sure about before. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's, let's move on to the other uh, match from last night. Spain, Netherlands, Spain needing some bonus soccer to get through. Um, Obviously, this one has a subplot for U.S. fans with some of the comments from Netherlands uh, about the U.S.'s exit from the World Cup. But from a soccer point of view, Spain obviously has been a team that's always 
I think for those of us who have been around for a while, um, a team that's like, can you take the next step? Can you take the next step? And last night it felt like they took the next step. Do you agree? It was at the same time kind of the typical Spain performance though, right? <laughs> Where like they dominated the game, they had way more shots and they just like couldn't finish yeah. the job until they did in the 111th minute. Um, the the funniest subplot to this game for me is not the um, the Netherlands comments about the United States, but uh, the Spain coach, Jorge Vida, Vilda, who uh, there's this clip that was going around where like after the game, he was walking around the field, like looking for somebody to like high five or give a hug to. And they were all acting like he doesn't exist. Yeah. And um, I assume most listeners, of this podcast kind of know at least a little bit of the backstory, but you know, many of Spain's, best players are not at this tournament because uh, they essentially protested against him or walked out on him. And many of them were not invited back. A handful of them were, but it's pretty clear that even though a lot of players have decided to come back, um, he's not particularly popular (laughs) with his players. (laughs) And I think it's very funny that we, we could be in line for two world cups in a row, the winning coach being extremely disliked by their own players. I mean, it is kind of a fascinating thing of where, I don't know. Sometimes I just wonder of like, is this actually a a bonding thing where you have like a common enemy, right? And so it (laughs) makes the team just kind of be like, no, screw you. We're going to do it ourselves. Right? Like, I, I feel like there actually is a factor there, but it is so, I mean, to your point about, yeah, after the match of just him kind of wandering around being like, does someone want to celebrate? Could Can anyone spare a high five, please? Um, it is a very interesting subplot to watch for this, where I think it feels really easy to want to root for these players, and then it feels really hard to want to root for that coach. Right. So I don't have an will... answer, by the way. You just you said it. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm... yeah. <laughs> I agree. It is really tough. It is really tough just to try to navigate i mean that's that sports i guess right of trying to navigate how to do it and and ultimately like the team is the players but that's a federation right that obviously has its own backstory and approach to women's the women's game in general where it's just like i don't know it'll be really i just keep thinking about what sam muse wrote in her column where it's kind of this catch-22 of if you win the federation is going to say see everything's fine right well, not only see everything's fine, see we were right. Yeah. It's so, it's, I, but then also you wonder, okay, if they win, that gives the players leverage too. It's going to be right, really like, interesting. People are going to listen to what they have to say about things not going correctly because they're World Cup winners. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be very fascinating to watch, I think, play out if they, Again, like there's still more games before they get to a final, but it's going to be a very interesting situation to in a theoretical world where they find success, how that plays out, because it does feel like the the cracks are there, right? Obviously, like we're seeing it firsthand, but then what would happen? It will just be really interesting. I don't I, like I don't have any predictions. It's just it's a strange and, situation. And I felt like tactically the players did have to overcome their coach last night. Um, I thought it was very strange that Harrieo didn't start the game. You know, the, the, the score of the game winning goal in the 111th minute. 
Um, she's leading the tournament in uh, take-ons at the moment, and uh, the Dutch defense, notably not great in like 1v1 up against dribbly wingers. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a pretty obvious matchup to try to exploit, and I thought it was strange that she didn't come into the game until the 71st minute. Also, a couple of midfield changes were made before uh, Puteas came in. I didn't necessarily disagree with Puteas not starting the match, just because coming off her ACL injury, not having a club season, really, you know, I think that Bonmati, Hermoso, and Abiera are the Spain's best midfield at the moment. Mm-hmm. But if you've decided you have to make a midfield change, either for tactical or fitness reasons, she should pretty obviously be the first one off the bench. And I thought it was very strange that she wasn't. Yeah. What are you thinking from this Spain-Sweden matchup? I mean, obviously both teams, I think, have some weaknesses that can be exploited. But, you know, do you do you have a favorite of these two? I think Sweden's going to win. I mean, I think Spain's the better team, but... Mm-hmm. We've seen not just in the, I mean, the Japan game's the most obvious example, but I thought this game, there were also a lot of examples of how just like generally unserious this team is. <laughs> that, you know, if if Lyneth Berenstein was a, was a better finisher on the night, they could have very, very right. easily lost this game before extra time. I thought the, the VAR reviewed penalty that wasn't given, uh, I disagreed with. I thought it was a penalty. Um, there were just a bunch of situations where despite dominating possession, having more shots, Spain could have very easily lost this game in the same manner that they lost the Japan game. Yeah. Sweden also to me just feel like survivors, right? In a way that you have to be a survivor in a world cup. And I don't know. Just, they don't, they don't give up stupid mistakes. Yeah. Like, Sometimes, okay, Spain's, like it is Spain's good enough to beat a team <laughs> that's not making any mistakes, but they're not going to get anything for free. Yeah. Whereas Spain has made some fascinating mistakes throughout the course of this tournament too. So Yeah, and through some combination of you know, the the player absences that they that they have and um pretty I don't I don't know if ambitious is the word, maybe naive, some people would say naive tactics like they can get pretty exposed at the back on the break. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll find out. Let's let's move to the other side of the bracket real quick. Obviously, the games are tonight, but we do have a couple very interesting matchups. Um, let's start with France Australia, where France is obviously coming into this game with a lot of momentum, but Australia has done well without Sam Kerr. Um, what are your thoughts heading into this one? I think France has yet to show us that they can comprehensively outplay a team that is on their talent and experience level. I thought that they were the slightly worst team against Brazil, but got a, you know, made a couple of clutch plays, but were otherwise, you know, they were just okay. Mm -hmm. They didn't play that well against Jamaica. And then uh, I think their other games were against opponents that were in some ways like kind of naive would be harsh, but who were really more concerned with like playing their own style and personal improvement than actually trying to win the game. 
Like, I thought it was actually kind of cool that Morocco stuck to their guns instead of thinking like, oh, we'll try to grind out a, a nil-nil. Yeah. Because Morocco's, not, they, Morocco's never going to win this tournament, and it's probably more valuable for their program success long-term to, like, get some tape against a top team playing their system than it is to, like, try to grind out a nil-nil. Yeah, try to, like, survive, right? Yeah. Like, what are they actually going to learn from that? Probably yep. nothing. Right. But That's fair. The point stands that France didn't have to work that hard in that game. Yeah, sure. And they didn't have to work their, that hard in their previous game. And now they're going to come into a really, really tough match against uh, a team that's, I think, better than any of the teams that they played so far and a crowd that's very much against them. And, like, they haven't been tested like this yet. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Sam Sam Kerr's availability remains the the fun mystery of the tournament. Of yeah, I've really enjoyed <laughs> Tony's press conferences. By the way, he's really really good at BSing. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of like that's the that's what you expect out of a head coach, right? Like your head coach is never going to say like, "Yeah, she's starting." Right? Like, of course he's going to dance around this. But it has been very enjoyable to watch. I mean, my prediction is that she starts. Um, she she looked fine and clearly didn't hurt herself in her sub appearance and i would be very surprised if she didn't start yeah well i also think i mean i also am generally a person that prefers if you have someone coming back that you start them and then when they hit that minutes restriction then you make the substitute rather than trying to especially in a world cup where we are getting 10 minutes of of stoppage time saying like oh you come on maybe in the 75th minute and then we'll find out when you 
exit, right? Like, I just think there's slightly more control, but I agree. there's also... I think, I think teams should do this more, even if they know players can only go 15 minutes or 30 minutes. There's, like, a weird psychological barrier to get over with, like, starter versus sub. Yes. But if you can get your players to get over that hang-up, like, I think it's actually very good strategy to have, like, your game-changer run their butt off for the first 30 minutes and then have your starter air quotes play the last 60. Okay. I'm glad that I'm not the only one who actually really, I have always been fascinated by this. Why more coaches don't go with the strategy. Do you think it's just that you like that the starter is just like, no, I don't want to do it this way because to me it has felt like you have so much more control over this scenario. Yeah. It's that you do for, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter if they play the, the first 60 or the last 60 there's like even though they're playing the same amount the same amount of minutes either way players don't like getting subbed in the first half yeah i mean players, that's fair and and players who think they're starters don't necessarily like coming off the bench if they feel like i'm the best i'm the the best player in my position in this team and i'm the one who's going to play the most minutes i should start yeah it's it's difficult to convince players of that um, it was interesting when Mark Krikorian did it at Florida State. College soccer is obviously a completely different beast. But um, his last season before he took the the CEO of Washington Spirit job, uh, he did this where he had his like, you know, his subs who were the very much like fit, athletic, you run you into the ground type players, but not necessarily the best technical players would play the first 30 minutes and then his better tactical players would play the last 60 and it worked really well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just, from an injury standpoint, I don't know. I've always been slightly confused just why, if you have more control over a situation, why you wouldn't opt for the situation where you have more control rather than (laughs) I agree trying to insert a player who is also coming back from injury into a game that is already moving at a specific pace and legs are getting tight. Like it just, I don't know. I I find it fascinating. So thank you for uh, validating (laughs) my random like hill to die on in like, I I don't know what it is about it, but I've always found it interesting. Um, I mean, my opinion is if you can't convince your players why of the benefits and get them over that like weird psychological barrier of starter versus sub then you're not much of a coach yeah that's that is true um all right the other the other matchup we've got england and colombia um which i don't for some matter i'm just I'm very interested to see how this game plays out. And I'm also slightly nervous about how this game is going to play out. Uh, Does that feel wrong of me? Like, I just, I I worry about the discourse around this game. I'm not going to lie. I I have the exact, like, opposite opinion of this game. I think it's going to be a pretty normal, like, 1-0 England win. And there's not going to be much discourse to be had. It's just going to be, okay, more, the, the more experienced team edged it and GG Columbia. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I would prefer that. <laughs> so <laughs> I would prefer that. Um, it also would set up a very interesting, I mean, England, France is obviously a, an interesting matchup, but England, Australia, I think would be quite something. 
I mean, I I would like to see. I don't I don't think they're going to, but I would very much like to see Colombia win. Not because I have anything against England or uh, particular, you know, like for Colombia, but I just I find it very enjoyable when the lower experience, lower resource teams get one over on the higher experience, higher yeah. resource teams. Yeah, it's very fun. I mean, also just having been in Sydney around the fan zone when a Columbia game was played. I mean, I watched two grown men walk into the FIFA museum that was at the fan zone and they have Linda Casado's jersey in the museum and they lost their minds, like lost their taking selfies with it. And it feels like a very good special moment for the growth of the game. Um, and the fact that they are the only common ball team left, like there's a lot of really good fun storylines here, but just watching the Colombian fans. Yeah. They seem they like they've love- had the best and loudest oh, fans man. besides the hosts. Yeah. It has been. And this is just like in the fan zone too. Just, yeah, it was really awesome. But just again, this to me, this world cup, just in general, having been on the ground, felt like, the one where we saw so much more progress of it was just a world cup, that part of it, but also yeah, two grown men going in and just seeing that Jersey and, and losing their minds. That was a cool moment. I feel like sometimes we have to just actually sit and, and think about those and what that's going to do for the game moving forward. So in, in previous world cups, a lot of the teams that have had, you know, less historical success or fewer resources haven't really had, that many fans show up to the games. And this year, South Africa, Nigeria, Jamaica have had thousands of fans at their games. Yeah. It was a good World Cup. Like, it still is, but it felt so much better this time around. Just from an attendance standpoint, from a fan zone standpoint, all of that felt a million times cooler than France. And France was like a good, fun time on the ground, but... This one just absolutely lapped it, I think, in terms of environment and atmosphere. So um, I I think that this many teams who are not like traditional women's soccer powers making it to the knockout rounds mm -hmm. and being so successful and also like, you know, people seeing that like, oh, they have these teams have fans in the stadiums. It's just going to be like this forever now. Yeah. And it's going for almost any country that, um, you know, has their their first run into the into the knockout round. We're just going to keep seeing this from new countries. Yeah, it's really cool. All right, let's let's uh, let's head into U.S. women's national team territory at least okay. for a little bit. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about maybe one of the bigger picture ideas that has come out of this, and that's this idea that the team doesn't necessarily really have a style of play, right? Um, I think this is something that Michael Cox has kind of been banging the drum about for a while, where it's just, you know, the U.S. for a really long time got away with uh, fitness and work ethic for results. Um, And whether that's accurate or not, that is maybe the outside perception of this team. And the next mission really is for them to figure out what they actually want to be on the field. And first I want to ask you, do you agree with that as a general premise? I think that this team in particular, this cycle, this coach have 
gotten kind of stuck between two minds of what we want the style of play to be, where we want to go, and what we think we're currently good at. And I feel like for a couple of years, there was this idea that like, okay, we are going to become a better possession team. We're going to become a more technical team. And then COVID happened and the Olympics debacle happened. And I think it kind of caused a a shift in mindset um, and maybe even a lack of belief on the part of the coaching staff. Like, nope, we got to get a little bit more back to what made this team good before we showed up. And I thought that the, the U S at this world cup had kind of, you could see that disjointedness of like, they want to be a more possession oriented team. They want to play what you'd classify as like pretty football, but they also feel like if things aren't going well, if they know a different way to win the game and they couldn't, fully commit to keeping it on the floor, trying to win the possession game or playing very fast and direct. Yeah. Like, and like okay, you don't need to fully commit to one or the other. Like the best teams have the ability to do multiple things and are mm-hmm. pretty well balanced, but they seemed like I, so that was kind of a long winded way of saying, yes, I agree with the, the premise. They don't know what they want to be. Do you think there's a way to fix it? Of course. <laughs> Just okay. Do you think there's a way to fix it before the Olympics? Um, I guess it depends on how you define fix it. If <laughs> the answer is implement a uh, completely different style of play and become the best team in the world in a year, no. That's fair. Okay. What What if I mean? Well, I guess so. This has if you been mean I show think, progress. If you mean yeah. the team looks yeah. better at the Olympics right. than they looked at looks the tournament, looks cohesive. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I think this is kind of the struggle of like we're now in this limbo, right? It is Friday, August eleventh. Um, no one, like technically, Vlako Andonovsky is still head coach of this team. The full expectation is that he will not be moving forward, but that is not a done deal necessarily. We don't know anything about. Uh, Kate Markgraf status as general manager yet either. We know obviously, you know, Matt Crocker as the new technical director of U.S. Soccer is not going to go anywhere, especially over a team that he has not had any oversight over whatsoever um, beyond like just kind of meeting them uh, over the past couple of months. But, you know, there is the sense of we don't know what the U- what U.S. Soccer is going to be looking for right, right off this the bat. Is- The question that I was going to ask you is, do you think that U.S. soccer is is looking at this more like we're mostly on the right path, but this coach or this GM didn't necessarily have the best ideas on how to execute on our plan. We need some fresh blood, but we're more or less on the right path. Or do you think they're more like this is a disaster? We got to clean house and start from zero. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle of those two things, which is like a really cheap and easy answer, but <laughs> is probably the truth of, because I don't think that they're going to think this is necessarily like burn it all down start from scratch. Right. Like that's not, I don't know. First of all, that's not really ever their vibe on anything, but you know, there are obviously multiple pieces to this. And I think based on some of the conversations that I've had, there is an understanding that 
there is a lot of work to be done. And and one of the things that I had flagged in my USA Portugal story, right, is that the youth national teams have been underperforming for a really long time. And that's not new information and that is on their radar. So I think you have to have some bigger picture movement just in terms of whoever is in charge of thinking about the the development identification of players the the youth national teams the senior like all of that stuff feels like right at the moment it could be working better and part of it too i think is just we're coming right now from the system has worked for a really long time but now that other countries are investing and have understood oh that we have this pre-existing infrastructure that works pretty well on the men's side and could work pretty well on the women's side the system that's set up in this country where soccer is not the number one sport is probably not going to suffice anymore and requires extra investment and infrastructure so yeah i mean i think to your question it's a it's i think a little bit of both but i don't see a way forward for Kate Markgraf to continue as general manager either, personally. Right. Even if you like her personally and think yeah. she's a smart person and, you know, has done a lot of good things, I think you have to you have to look at the results and say, you know, like who is the the person in the program most responsible for these results? Mm-hmm. That's the gig, like this is why you could never pay me any level of money <laughs> to ever take any of these jobs. Cause like that's the gig. And I, I think, yeah, she has done really good work in certain places and seems like a very lovely human being in Boston Breakers forever, right? But also there is an expectation and a culture of winning at the US. And if it isn't met, we have generally seen people end up departing the program. Yeah. I mean, and she hired not just Vladko, but she hired youth national team coaches. Yep. She hired other support staff, you know, Basically, everyone that had a hand in these things not going well, she's the person who decided to hire them. Right. So, yeah, I think we're going to see changes from a personnel point of view, but the bigger issue stuff that and this is going to be the challenge, right? Like we're going to get a lot of headlines and obviously a lot of discussion about the U.S. Women's National Team, the senior team exiting this World Cup in round of 16, but then all of that work to try to prevent a similar result and to keep the program at the height that it expects to be, like that's going to be the stuff that's really hard to keep people's attention on. Yeah. And also a thing that's really difficult to grapple with is that most of the, the problems with the current roster are yep. due to problems that happened five to 10 years ago yeah. rather than recently. Right. Like if you, if you look at the roster and you say, there's not a lot of great prime age players, like the, the, the players that you think of in the U S women's national team player pool is like the most successful or the most exciting. They are either in their thirties or really young. Yep. You've got, you know, you've got a couple, you've got Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle who are, 28, 29, but that like part of the squad, you're like 26 to 30 year old part of the squad that should be your, your leaders, your best players, and should also make up the largest number of players in the squad. Mm -hmm. It's not the case with this team. And that's not due to 
Vlad Komodonovsky or Kate Markgraf, that's due to their predecessors and maybe even their predecessors' predecessors. That's due to stuff that went wrong 10 years ago. So yeah. that's kind of a difficult thing to grapple with is like, okay, U.S. soccer could make all of the right changes right now. And we might not see the results of that for like 10 years. <laughs> that's the joy of this <laughs> sport, right? Of Well, like this is why Japan, we're seeing success now because you look at their success at the youth levels and like, the 2014 to 2018 range and we're starting to see like this is just the delayed angle right of decisions around youth soccer and talent identification all that kind of fun stuff that takes a really really long time to pay off or also if you get it wrong you don't realize you got it wrong for quite a while yeah Again, you could not pay me any amount of money to do. <laughs> not that I'm qualified, but you could not pay me any amount of money to do these jobs. No, thank you. Um, just in terms of Olympics, do you think, I mean, obviously we have players that we know are, are exiting the program. I mean, I still am not really over Julie Ertz, essentially retiring live on national television, <laughs> apparently, uh, <laughs> for the game. Um, but you know, Ertz, Rapino, in theory, out. Um, I mean, is it is it time to just go maybe full youth movement for Olympics? Or is there, you know, still hope for someone like a Lynn Williams or a, a Christy Mewis to make another Olympic roster, do you think? I think it's entirely a matter of how well they play for club. If they're playing well enough, then they should stay in the team. And if they're not, then they shouldn't. Yeah. I think that's still such a shift, though, from... Right, the problem right, with, the, yeah. with the U.S. women's national team for the longest time has been that there are players who are on the It was the a club team. It was yeah. a club team, yeah. And it didn't matter whether or not you played well for club. And that's that's the biggest shift that has to happen culturally, is if you're performing, you get in the team. If you're not performing, you get dropped. I think the, the reason why people might also be struggling with that right now too, is because of the lack of cohesiveness at this world cup too, of because people have been so used to this, the U S women's national team being essentially a club team where you knew the starting 11, right? Generally, uh, game in game out or the first three subs off the bench too, right? Like I think about Jill Ellis and kind of her core 14 ish players that she had, um, to shift that, line of thinking into club performance is what gets you onto the team. It's just, it is a massive adjustment, but I think it's also the future of how this team will work. I mean, it's how the teams that are beating the U S function. Yep. Which should be a decent hint that it's time to consider it. <laughs> Why use logic when you can use emotion though? I mean, I, you can also be emotional about like, I think that the, the teams that the players that are playing well should get in the team and the players that aren't playing well should not be in the team. That's also kind of an emotional response. Yeah. Well, we will be, it will be obviously one of the massive projects moving forward is watching what us soccer does. But I, I think, you know, my, my next big story too is thinking about what this means for NWSL as well, this world cup. Um, a lot of it is, 
maybe not so great. Um, but there's a lot of work to happen, which is kind of the, I think the status quo generally of women's soccer in this country anyway. So do you think that there's going to be a reaction from a lot of these players to this, you know, failure in the world cup to go, we got to get to Europe. I don't know about, uh, getting to Europe, but I mean, it will be, I, I don't, it's going to be interesting. I, I think the calendar still has such a, a big role in how players are thinking about it, but also, I don't know, like Lindsey Hran, the team's captain is in Europe right now. So if she can do it, why can't others? Um, NWSL has to make a case for itself that it's going to prepare you to be on a World Cup roster. And I think there are bigger questions about that now than there were five weeks ago. I also think that the NWSL can fix this overnight if they want to. Because, yeah, maybe more players want to be in, in Europe than elsewhere. But at the end of the day, even the top teams in Europe don't pay that much relative mm-hmm. to other men's professional sports, or specifically men's soccer. It's not going to cost that much money to get the best players in NWSL. No, it shouldn't, right? It shouldn't. It also requires the league actually going all in on free agency too, I think. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I can tell you just firsthand from my experience working at Angel City, there were several players that we spoke to who said, you know, I would very much like to come to NWSL and I believe you when you say that you're not going to trade me, but I can't put myself in that situation where, you know, I sign for you and then you have the ability to send me to another team. I'm just like, uh, we we were told that by several players who just said, sorry, we like you and your pitch was great, but I'm not subjecting myself to that. Yep. Yeah, there is. I mean, there are two kind of like immediate. If you put in some extra money and you actually embrace free agency, which obviously the NWSL Players Association would be. You have to create a system where you can't do trades without the players approving it. Yeah. Can you get NWSL owners on board with that? Because that's the reason players don't want to come to NWSL. I don't know. I mean, you would think that they would have some incentive right at the moment, but when has the NWSL ever made life easy for itself? (laughs) All right, Kim, let's, uh, let's end it there. Um, any do you want to do you want to give any wild predictions not just score you know who's going to advance out of these these final remaining games but is there anything that you're looking for maybe from tonight in terms of chaos potentially i just want to see one last great showing from columbia's attackers maybe they don't win the game but just one more great goal cuz they've been they've been so good they've been so entertaining uh, unfortunately, I d- I'm not sure the, the midfield and defense behind them is good enough to win the game against England, but I just want to see one more great goal from those Columbia attackers. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we haven't really had like a, I mean, I guess that France Panama game that was four or three, although honestly, like 
there's a game where we could get a real back and forth, you know, NWSL-esque, no defense, just vibes game. Like France-Australia, I think, could really go for it. I wouldn't hate like a wild 4-3 game. I think it's possible. I don't see it coming. I think, <laughs> I think honestly, I think both of yeah, these coaches are too good. Yeah, that's fair. It's also just, it's really hard in World Cups. Everybody's a little too tightly wound for true nonsense, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that the rest of the way out, we're going to see a, a bunch of nil-nil, one-nil games. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot more um, having to go past regulation time already than I think a lot of us expected, but interesting World Cup, just kind of across the board. So, all right, Kim, thanks for, for stopping by today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can find us all the places where you usually get your podcasts. And also make sure that you are following our World Cup hub over at The Athletic. Obviously, we've still got plenty of coverage. Everyone is still back there on the ground in Australia and New Zealand. I am still very much in the throes of FOMO over not being there. But obviously, there is still plenty of work to be done. And we will be back at some point next week uh hopefully with Steph over on the ground in whatever country she's going to be in i think still new zealand but we'll find out when we talk to her thanks for listening